Uh, our second reading can be found in Isaiah 52, uh, 13, and get reading to uh, chapter 53, verse 12, can be found on page 772 of your pew Bibles, or you can read them on the screen. It's uh, headed in my Bible, The Suffering and Glory of the Servant. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had not beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and, a fam and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgress transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his, by his knowledge... My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone. 
Uh, if you missed the start of our service, my name's Pete, I'm one of the elders here, and it's a great but daunting privilege to look at this fantastic uh, part of God's Word. Uh, I should warn you, as part of uh, our reading of this Word together, we're going to engage in a tactile experiment together. Uh, in your uh, new sheets, uh, you'll find an outline, uh, some of you use that, I know, many don't, um, but you'll also find a small piece of paper that looks like this. It'd be great for you to have that handy, so I warn you now. And it'd be great to have one of those pens or pencils that are scattered around in front of you handy as well. As we come to a familiar but wonderful part of God's Word, we're going to try to engage with it uh, with all of ourselves, and we're hoping that will help. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read this part of God's Word together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you uh, that your gospel is the power of salvation uh, for all who believe the power to enter into salvation, and the power to go on in it. We pray, our Heavenly Father, that we would hear your gospel through these wonderful words written thousands of years ago about the Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, despite the uh, enormous popularity of both the movie and music industries, uh, the real money, the experts say, remains in computer games. In fact, the experts tell us that the computer games industry is worth more than both the movies and music industries combined. As each year, more than two and a half billion people spend $150 billion on games. If you're looking for a career diversion, this might be one to go to. Games that put you in the driver's seat, that make you the hero of the story. They call on you to defeat all comers and especially and always the big bad boss. But there is a game that's different. Stands out from all the rest. What's it called? It's called That Dragon Cancer. It was created by Ryan and Amy Green as a memorial to their son Joel who for four years fought the dragon of brain cancer and lost. Now, as you might imagine, it's a game that's very hard to play. And in fact, is impossible to win. Why? Because this game mirrors life. And in real life, you're not in the driver's seat. You can't defeat the big bad boss Death always wins. Sin always stings. And there's a punishment from God owed by you that always must be paid. Now in the game Ryan and Amy created, there are lots of different things you can do. But the one thing you can't do is save Joel. No matter how you play the game, no matter what path you choose, that dragon cancer always wins. But then, suddenly, in that game, quite apart from you or anything you do within that game, the screen flashes. One more time. 
And all of a sudden, you're taken to another level. To a cathedral, a lake, a field. And who is there waiting for you? It's Joel. I remember you, he says in the game. You made it too. I'm so glad you're here. I love it here. You see, in the game Ryan and Amy created, you cannot win the game. You cannot defeat the dragons of cancer or sin or death or wrath. But someone else can. And someone else has. For Joel. For you. So if you hadn't guessed it yet, Ryan and Amy Green are Christian. And they believe in a dragon slayer. In someone who can do for them and for Joel and for us what no one else can. And I want to suggest to you that that's who we meet in our passage today. Joel's dragon slayer. Our dragon slayer. In God's suffering servant. See, in the context of Isaiah so far, the situation for God's people was remarkably like that of dying Joel. Do you remember? From the very start of the book, in page after page after page, God had told his people how sick they were. Just like Joel, left to themselves, they really had no help. Death was what they faced. And worse still, the judgment of God for their blatant rejection of him. But then, suddenly, just like that game, do you remember, it's as if the screen of Isaiah flashed. And in the promise of God from, from Isaiah chapter 40 and on, God's people are taken to a whole new level, to, to a forgiven future they didn't deserve, to a wonderful place of peace with God. And the question they must have asked was, how? How could the cancer of sin be defeated? How could the dragon of death be slain? How could the judgment of God, owed by us, be taken away once and for all? And that's what we find out in our passage today. As we meet Israel's dragon slayer. Our dragon slayer. In God's suffering servant. Now, if you have your Bibles open in front of you, and I hope you do, from Isaiah uh, chapter 52, verse, uh, verse 13. Isaiah 52, verse 13. If you have a look at it there, you'll notice the section is broken up into five separate parts, uh, each with three verses in each section. And in the first and last of those, we hear God's assessment of this servant, and we see the servant's victory. As we work our way in, in the second and fourth, we hear the human assessment of God's servant. And we see that servant's suffering. And then at last, in the center of the song, and where everything else is pointing us to, God tells us why and how. Why did this servant have to suffer? How are our dragons slain? 
And the way we're going to read the passage today is we're going to try to follow that pattern from outside in. So we'll bounce around uh, from the start and the end of the passage, but hopefully it'll help us get to the heart and centre of the song. Well, as we turn to the passage now, if there's one thing that's crystal clear, it's who God wants us to see and focus our attention on. Do you see there in the very first words? See my servants. Look at him. What I'm about to say is all about him. And it really is, isn't it? Do you see it the whole way through again and again? It's he and his and him. Him and his and he. In fact, do you see it now? You, you skim your eyes over those verses. He will. At him. His appearance. His form. Uh, he will. Uh, because of him. And on and on it goes. At the 2012 Olympics, uh, South African swimmer uh, Chad Lacoste uh, won a gold medal. And his father, you can see him there, Bert Lacoste, was famously interviewed after. And what did he say? He said, look at my boy. He's so beautiful. It's worth looking at, actually. Look at him. Look at him. Look at my boy. And you see, so says God about his servant, you see. God's saving plan is all about him. And I wonder, did you notice, and in fact the author really wants us to, it's all about him in a very strange way. Did you see? It's why there in chapter 52, verse 15, do you see it? Chapter 52, verse 15, kings will shut their mouths. It's why the question is asked there in Chapter 53 and verse 1, who has believed our message? It, it, it's just so strange. Why? Because this precious servant of God, the world will love to hate. And this victory of this servant will only come through death. See, on the one hand, make no mistake, just as we were told both at the start and the end of this song, this servant of God will be raised, verse 13, there at the start, raised, lifted, highly exalted. And then, then there at the end, in, in chapter 53, verse 12, he'll divide the spoils with the strong. He will stand with the great. You see, the whole song is framed by the victory of this servant. And yet, all the way in between, if there's one thing that's crystal clear, it's that the only way that victory will come is by awful, God-given suffering. And it really is God-given, do you notice? It really is the Lord's will. You see, most clearly perhaps there in chapter 53, verse 10. Chapter 53, verse 10. Yet, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. The Lord's will to cause him to suffer. And so no wonder God says, Behold, my servant. 
Behold, my plan. And so as a humanity, we do. We look at the servant. We look at the plan. But if we're honest, we'd have to admit, we kind of hope for more. We, we, we hope for something else. It reminds me just a little bit of last Christmas in the Sorensen house. Uh, last Christmas, my wife and I had one of our biggest Christmas present fails yet. I don't know if you've had one of those, parents in the room. Uh, we bought some presents for our kids and we thought they were pretty good, actually. And as it turned out, though, they were not. Uh, they were not what they wanted in a very big way. And we could see the disappointment all over their face. And we could hear it in their voice, in their kind of, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I like it. It's fine. No matter how much they tried to hide it, it was patently, painfully clear that what they got, they didn't want. You see, so it was with this servant of God. Like the science and Christmas gifts, it was not what anyone wanted. But unlike the science and kids, no one tried to hide it, did you see? There in verse 2, chapter 53, halfway through, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. It gets worse then, verse 3, do you see? He was despised, rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. In fact, so much so, you see down in verse 7, they even had him unjustly killed. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb on the way to the abattoir, that's the story of the servant of God. Like an innocent being led to the gas chamber, that's the story of the servant of God. Like those men, do you remember, in the orange suits, lined up on the beach. That's the story of this servant of God. Or it is, that is, with one glaring exception. I wonder if you see it. The stark difference between that story and this. What was it? Well, it was when that story happened, there was global vocal outrage, do you remember? Instant demand for justice. This must not be. And yet, I wonder, did you notice, not here. Not, not for this innocent servant. Do you see there verse 8? By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? Or as it says in our version, who can speak of his descendants? Answer, no one. You see, this was injustice by popular demand. Like a crier yelling out, crucify, crucify. 
And the judge saying back, but why? What crime has he committed? And the crowd just yelling louder, crucify him, crucify him. Or like this image I came across last year. That's how they'll feel about this servant, Isaiah says. God's servant, who in God's plan was humanity's reject unjustly killed. And the question, of course, is why? Like the famous Time magazine asked once of Jesus, why did Jesus have to die? Why did the servant have to die? The answer, for us. For you. Because this is how God would slay your dragons of sin and death and guilt and shame and yet let you live with him. And how? By this precious servant swapping places with you. At the, start of God's, at the heart of God's plan is a swap. His innocence for our guilt. Our punishment for his peace. He takes from us all that we owe and he gives to us all that he owns. And to help us feel that and to see that, I'd love you to grab those pieces of paper now. And if you can find a pen there in front of you, a pencil, I'd love you to grab that too. There's a few spares on the, in, on the outsides of each of the aisles if you need one. I'd love you to grab that paper and a pen. And then what I'd love you to do is write your name on that top left side. It indicates there a place for your name. And once you have, once you to see underneath it, everything there that God says belongs to you. In other words, they're all the ours from the verses in front of us, from there in verse 4, our pain, our suffering. Or there in verse 5, our transgressions, our iniquities. In other words, our sin, our shame. Or there in verse 6, our going astray. Our turning away. Or to make it more personal still, you might like to think, or if you're brave enough, you might even like to write of what the particulars are of those for you. My gossip. My past. My lust. My lies. My pornography, my greed, my secret sins, I'd be so ashamed for anyone else to know. And once you've done that, do you see and feel what the servant does next? The way he takes all those wretched things from you. The way he bears all those things for you. Represent that on your page. Invite you to do this. The way he crosses out your name. You can do that in the top left of your page. 
And he instead puts his own name there, the servant. He writes his name where yours once was. And he does that, do you see, knowing full well what must happen to him if he takes your place for you. Again, you see in the verses, and if you like, I suppose you write this down on that page as well where your name once was, how he was, verse 4, stricken, struck down, afflicted, caused pain. Verse 5, crushed, pierced. Verse 6, laid on him the iniquity of us all, all the weight of all our wrong loaded up on him. And then you see on the right of the page what he gives to you. All that rightly belongs to him, do you see? So now, by the grace of God, you can write your name where the servants once was. On the right-hand side of that page. So that now, verse 5, you can have peace with God. Healing with God. As we've already seen from the rest of Isaiah, forgiveness from God, even friendship with God, a wonderful, perfect future with Him. And in fact, even now, and I invite you to do this, you can tear that page in half and screw up the left-hand side. As he takes all you owe and deals with that, and he gives to you all he owns... And you see, that's how God does it. How he slays our dragon and makes us right. How? By slaying his servant in our place. By him giving his life for us. Who is this servant slain for you? Well, as you already know, and the rest of the New Testament makes clear, it is, of course, Jesus. As the Apostle Philip explained to the Ethiopian eunuch in that first of our readings, we just happened to be reading Isaiah 53, do you remember? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. We'll get up on the screen, thanks, Tash. The Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Or as Jesus himself would say as he approached his own cross, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And then he says, And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Jesus is our dragon slayer who suffered and died and rose for us. As one commentator put it so beautifully, it looks as if this has been written from beneath the cross itself. And of course, that's the point. It was. That's what this was written about. It's about him and his cross for us. And what do we need to do to get what he wants to give? Remarkably, as best as I can tell from the passage, the answer is nothing. Nothing but open up our hands and release our grip on the sin and guilt and shame we know. To let Jesus take it from us. So he can give us all that's his. 
Listen to how a Puritan preacher, John Owen, puts it. And see if you can hear Isaiah 53 and what he says. Jesus is bruised for my sins. Can we get a couple more forward, please, Tash? Here it is. Jesus is bruised for my sins and wounded for my transgressions. The, the chastisement of my peace is upon me, is upon him. He is made sin for me. And then he goes on. Here I give up my sins to him who alone is able to bear them. He requires me to open my hands, release my grip, and let him deal with my sin. And that I heartily content to do, he says. All we need to do is have to have this forgiveness from God is to release our grip on our sins. And not just, by the way, when we first give our life to Christ. I think that's sometimes how we hear a message like this. For the very first time, we say to God, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for your son. Please save me and rule me the rest of my life. Now, on the one hand, of course, it is for that. If you haven't yet come to Christ, that's how you do it. With nothing in your hand except the shame he takes from you. With nothing to do but to hold to him. But see, here's the thing. It's not just for that. And Christians in the room, we need to keep hearing this. It's not just for coming to God for the very first time. Now, as Jonathan Owen will go on to say, this is every day's work. This is every Christian's work. Every day, if we trust in Jesus, whether for the very first time or day after day, this is what we do. We open up our hands. We release our grip on our sin and shame and guilt we know. And we let Jesus daily take it from us so we can have all that's his. See, I wonder now, can you imagine it, on that now scrunched up piece of paper you have, all those sins you hate, even now, that guilt you know, even now, can you imagine writing those on that piece of paper that Jesus now owns? And if you trust in him, you don't. Because that's what he wants from you. He wants to take your sin, your guilt, your shame. He wants to take those things from you. In her book, A Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry speaks of her journey from, from godless, abused lesbian to forgiven child of God. And in it, she writes of the cross, Jesus had the guilty in mind when he was hung high and stretched wide. On it, he died in my place for my sin. He bare-bodied and face-set on joy became a slaughtered lamb underneath the wrath of God. And then she goes on. You would think his father would have a better memory than that. Didn't he know that wrath was mine? It even had my name on it. But that's the point, isn't it? He did know. It's why he came. To take those things from us. He came to be Joel's dragon slayer. 
Israel's dragon slayer. Your dragon slayer. Who suffered and died in your place. As that wonderful hymn puts it. And with these words we'll close. And I do hope we can feel this today. My sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Let's pray.